Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Unsuckable Podcast. I'm your host Manuel Fate, and we have a, we have another big show coming up, guys. I'm really excited to um, talk about all sorts of stuff. Um, lots of football, this action this week, Ballon d'Or. Yeah, uh, I think this will be a fun one. And helping me to to chat about all of this. Joined once again by Joshua Deming. Joshua, how's it going? It's going pretty well, Manuel. Always excited to get the uh, podcast going, start our, our week off, and uh, excited to see what some of the guys have to say today, specifically Filippo, as his uh, had a pretty memorable moment over the weekend. I'm excited to get him to dive into that. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm happy to have Filippo back because obviously you were out, man. Uh, a little bit of knee trouble. How's it going? How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Um, fortunately, I won't. I won't be available to play for my team this weekend with the knee injury, but it's looking pretty good. The recovery is going smooth. And I mean, Manu, you've been through this. You know how it is. And I'm sure many of the listeners are soccer fanatics that play and have been dealing with knee injuries here and there. It's very common, but I'm doing great and I'm happy. My team once again won the Libertadores. We're going to talk about it. Palmeiras. And happy to be here. Happy to be back, guys. Yeah, it's good to have you back, man. And I'm I'm looking forward to the Libertadores chat. I think that's going to be very interesting. And yeah, final final man in the round, round of four. How's it going, Adrian? How are you doing? How you, have you recovered yet from the World Cup qualification draw? Yes, I have recovered from that. I uh, I have accepted the reality that Portugal will be facing in March. Um, you know, there's a chance that they'll be playing up against Italy. If I mean, we'll get into that later. But if we're doing a knee check, both of my knees are fine, and I am ready for this episode. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I think the biggest topic over the last 24 hours was the uh, the robbery that took place in Paris yesterday. I still have to laugh about it a little bit. And of course, it's an individual award. Filippo, you and I chatted a little bit about this before the show and um, the Ballon d'Or going to Lionel Messi. I think at this stage, I think we can all agree it's a popularity award. It has been probably ever since the Lionel Messi-Ronaldo era. Um, I think my favorite part about the award show yesterday, and it was a show, it, it really is just a show. It's it's nothing meaningful anymore. I think the Ballon d'Or has, France football has properly flashed that award down the toilet. But um, the fact that they hammered together the most ugliest award in the history of all awards, just so they could hand something to Lewandowski, um, because, you know, they obviously were embarrassed themselves by the way it went. Um, Filippo, First of all, individual awards in football, crap. That's just a reality. But 
at least try to make them meaningful, right? Yeah, first of all, they don't mean anything at all because what matters is club titles, right, or national team titles. Essentially, it's becoming what the Oscar Awards, your Academy Awards, right, for movies. You'll have some awards for these random movies that nobody even knows what it is or no one watched. They weren't very popular. They weren't even good movies. But it just makes you wonder if it's an actual award on merit or on marketing at this point, especially the Ballon d'Or. So I, I honestly didn't watch it. I just know what happened because people started tweeting a lot about it. I couldn't pretend to care about the Ballon d'Or. Congratulations to Messi. Um, he is one of the greatest players of all time and definitely the greatest of his generation. But yeah, based on, based on what I followed, the award probably shouldn't have gone to him. But regardless, congratulations to Messi if this award even means anything at this point. Yeah, I, I think... I think the face, I didn't watch it either. I just followed it on Twitter. That was way more entertaining, by the way. Um, I think Messi's face says it all when the award was, when he was announced and he was really kind of surprised um, himself. I think he expected it to go to Lewandowski. And I think in fairness, his statements afterwards um, saying that, you know, Lewandowski was essentially robbed in 2020 and it should have gone to him. I mean, Josh, so much was made out of the fact that the Tournaments were the decisive factors for such a long time to hand these awards to the best player, right? For Cannavaro in 2006 is the last big example. But then during the Lionel Messi, Ronaldo era, all of a sudden tournaments weren't important anymore until this year when all of a sudden they were. What did you make of the entire thing, Josh? I mean, I have a couple of different points about it. The first one, I think what kind of made it an embarrassment was the fact that they decided not to give one out in 2020. Lewandowski was the clear winner. I don't think anyone is even remotely close to him last year. And it was a shame because the Ballon d'Or has been split between two people for so long. It would have been nice and to reward a striker who is a generational talent. Uh, I, I don't think it's totally fair to say that, that Lewandowski was way in a ways the man who deserved it this year. I think Messi had a good season as well. It's just Messi's had so many better seasons in the past. It kind of overlooks him a little bit. And I mean, when it came to 2020, Lewandowski, yes, 2021, it could be up for debate. I personally would have liked to see Lewandowski win it, I think, after the ripoff he had last year. But I don't think it's totally unfair to say that just like it's, you can't give a bound door to Messi and say he probably doesn't deserve it because he did a, complete a lot of stuff this season. The Copa, I know we talked about it a little bit in the pre-show with the uh, Copa America and that he kind of drifted away. But throughout the tournament, he was consistent. But it's, it's just one of those things. And then to not give it out, and then last season, then to come back this season and give Lewandowski a, a new kind of award, it just yeah, it, it took a real deep dark turn. And I don't know, it just it's it, if I'm Lewandowski, if I'm Bayern supporters, and and I mean even even Bundesliga supporters, you feel kind of ripped off. And uh, I I mean I'm happy for Lewandowski for all, all he accomplished, but yeah, they, they need to really rethink this because it wasn't a good look. Yeah, I think Messi, of course, he had a good season. Um, the award is of course. Uh, supposed to be given to the player uh, from the last award to now and up until the summer when Messi did win the Cuba <clears throat> I think Lewandowski and Messi were pretty even but when you look at the stats in this season and remember this season counts it counts all the way up to November uh, Messi has played 11 games for PSG and scored four goals and three assists and um, Robert Lewandowski has played 20 games for Bayern Munich and scored 25 goals uh, in in that in that span like this season right that's a goal every 68 minutes by Robert Lewandowski from basically the start of the season to now 
Um, you know, and it is the entire span. People, people keep pointing out all these other things that Messi has achieved, but Messi has only been able to score a goal every 505 minutes in, in Liga. That's, that's reality, right? So like, I, I don't know, Adrian, I, I just feel that they almost wanted to give it to a PSG player, didn't they? Um, I don't know if they necessarily wanted to give it to a PSG player in particular. Maybe this is, you know, one of the times where they could have actually, you know, actually had that opportunity. I think the last time that someone came close was Neymar in either 2017 or 2018 when he finished in third. But yeah, I, I mean, my whole position on this, like I didn't make any mention of it on, on Twitter really, besides retweeting some funny memes where someone was comparing Musa Marega, former Porto striker, now plays in the Middle East to Messi and just looking at the titles won, you could say, oh, well, Marega had more. So it's all very unclear how they weight everything. I mean, we all know that it all goes through votes via journalists and some of the journalists have special interests. I mean, just going through all the different votes from each journalist because you can access them. You can see that some people were putting Obama Yang in there and like all these strange votes. So it really just has sort of made a mess of itself. And uh, to put any sort of weight or stock into it at this point anymore doesn't mean anything, especially when you're comparing, you know, how how much more important is a, a game-saving tackle from a defender than a goal that someone just headed in at the back post and it was a free header, you know, that ultimately adds to their tally. So I think that individual awards are problematic to begin with. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the Ronaldo Messi era has definitely uh, ruined this award. I, I think that's my final take on it. It's, it's become a little bit of a joke. I am, FIFA does a bit of a better job with it, I think. They have been also giving it to players that actually had good seasons, even if they, they weren't uh, Messi or Ronaldo. So maybe maybe it's just it. It's, you know, it's the Oscars of football. Um, let's move on. Let's move on to FIFA World Cup qualification. And Adrian, I think you probably feared that a little bit already. Um, it's now reality. Your country, Portugal, has to go through Italy to get to the World Cup, if Italy gets there. Um, you know, they have to, of course, I think Portugal played Turkey first, right? Or is it, is it Italy that played Turkey first? It's Portugal against Turkey and Italy against, is it North Macedonia? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, there's no guarantee that either team will even make the final. I'm sure everyone's going to assume that one or the other uh, will end up the winner of that certain path within the World Cup qualifying. But, yeah, it's it's going to be difficult either way you slice it. Yeah, and it's going to be exciting. I think it's going to be, well, not for you, Adrian, or any of my any Italian fans listening to this podcast. It's going to be very exciting, and I think it is, it is probably, if you're a neutral, the one of the best ways to decide um, a final spot in the World Cup qualifying. And um, make no mistake, Italy and Portugal put themselves into that situation. Um, we do have to bring it up, though. And I think World Cup qualification at some stage, and I think right now we're in a perfect balance. Um, we have 32 countries, right, at the tournament. Um, it's a good mix of the big European countries usually getting there um, with one or two exceptions. Like this year, we're going to have an exception again. And uh, Italy missed out on the last World Cup as well, of course. And, um, you know, some good countries coming in from Comnibol, CONCACAF, uh, this, the CEF, um, and of course the, the AFC. But we're going to go to 48 teams, Filippo. And somewhat controversially on Twitter, I may have suggested that maybe UEFA is right a little bit about being upset that, you know, they're not getting any extra spots 
once the World Cup goes to 48 teams. I want to reiterate the fact that I think the balance right now is perfect. I want to reiterate the fact that I think that the playoffs are a great way to determine um, the final spots. I think the drama is going to be fantastic for a neutral. But at one point, can you say that, you know, six teams from CONCACAF? Hmm. I don't know, Filippo. Is that quality really there? So overall, I think, yes, the quality is there. The main problem I have with Common Ball is the amount of nations that are there. Essentially, I thought Common Ball and CONCACAF should be one confederation. And then you add those spots. And yes, it would be tough for CONCACAF because all 10 nations in Common Ball can compete with any of the top nations in CONCACAF. But I think that would be much more interesting and much more fair. The problem lies on the amount of nations Common Ball has. In regards to UEFA getting more spots or not, you, we got to determine what's the criteria, right? Because having a World Cup, it's a tricky one because you want to include the entire world. I personally think UEFA had on the 32 spots, I think UEFA had too many spots, in my opinion. You have to include the entire world. But at the same time, you do need to have a balance and put in these nations, which we talk about, Portugal and Italy, which are charming nations, nations you want to watch, right? That have Cristiano Ronaldo or a, a nation like Italy that has won four World Cups, by the way. But that's not what it's about, right? World Cup is not really about history. It's about putting the whole world to compete. And it's the best teams of each confederation, somewhat similar to the FIFA Club World Cup, right? The FIFA Club World Cup does not have the best clubs in the world besides the Champions League winner. The Even the South American winner, he wouldn't win the Champions League. That wouldn't happen. But that's not the point, right? We already have the Euros that determines the champions of Europe, which is probably one of the most competitive tournaments in soccer. So I think I think it's fair, right? We know we know that a lot of FIFA's decisions are not based on what's fair. They even these ones, it was based on politics and money. I have no doubt about that. But personally, I don't. I, I think the spots are fine. I agree with you in the sense of common ball, though. But the way I agree with you is I think it should just merge with CONCACAF. It should be one confederation and add up the spots. Because then you're going to have, what, 51 nations, I believe? Because CONCACAF is 41 affiliated, I believe. But yeah, that's my first take on it. Let's go back and forth with all of us. I want to hear everyone's opinion here. But that's my first reaction to it. Yeah, Josh, I, I said... Uh... U.S. and Canada Twitter on fire by suggesting that maybe, maybe UEFA is right and saying, "Hmm, this isn't fair." And so I have to ask you as well: like, at at what point Concacaf qualifying isn't easy? I'm not suggesting that one bit, but a lot of a lot of weight is put on the fact that you know it's because of travel, it's because of the distances, it's because of the weather, it's because of the altitude. All that sort of stuff, completely forgetting that, of course, if you fly from uh, London to Kazakhstan, it's five time zones and 6,000 kilometer one way trip, right? And, or if you go to Armenia or the Caucasus regions or, you know, Bayern Munich lost the Champions League title last year because Robert Lewandowski was playing uh, in Andorra. So, Josh, when you look at the, if you look at CONCACAF, what is it going to, what is going to happen when we have six qualification teams from here? It's going to be great for this region, but is it fair? I mean, it, it depends. Like, if we're looking to uh, if we're looking to extend to six in um, in the forty eight team World Cup, I think that's fair because there's a couple things you have to take a look at. I mean, I personally love the thirty two um, team setup here. I think it's fair. I think it's a good spread. Thirteen um, nations from Europe, as well as the way that we kind of distribute them out, and then they go to the playoffs. And if Concacaf gets its fourth spot, it, it gets its fourth spot. But 
I mean, the, the point of a World Cup is to grow the the game internationally. It's not about having something with 25 of the best teams in in Europe, which I mean is essentially the Euros. It's it's about getting that uh, that distribution, and you see it as well with host nations. I mean, South Africa back in 2010 was not expected to do anything, and they were a fun little team to watch. And I know Panama went to went to the World Cup and did very poorly, especially after getting spanked against England. But on top of that, they deserve to be there. So I don't have, and it had to be strategic with the way that they're going to extend it. I do think because there's more quality nations in the remainder of Europe than there would be in Common Bowl, I think it's fine. But I think if you're going to up it to the, the 48 teams, then every single area should be up a little bit. There should be an extra, maybe an extra spot or, or so in, in Common Bowl, in CONCACAF, in Africa, in Asia, as well as in uh, in Europe, probably a couple more because that's where the bulk majority of, of quality are from the teams that won't be in the World Cup compared to the ones that that will be so it, it is about it's a global game and I, i'd like to see the diversity especially if we're gonna go up to the 48 world cup which is the entire point to help nations have a chance to be able to get there uh just one thing i wanted to add europe is gaining spots right for the 48 they're just not getting it proportionally because europe has 13 now they're gonna go to 16 correct me if i'm wrong i, I honestly have no idea I, I just i haven't looked too deep into it now but i my assumption is that that yeah, like they each one would get a, a few other spots, but I I thought the entire point about extending to the forty eight was to extend this game internationally. So maybe a big por- portion of doing that is the fact that they already see all right. There's a ton of European teams already there. Maybe we'll add three. That's three more spots, probably more than the other nations are going to get. And again, I don't one hundred percent know. I haven't looked that deep into it, but I'm assuming the point of doing this is to be able to probably give those spots to other nations that have a have a yeah. more difficult time to qualify. So I'm going to be very cynical here, though, guys. Very cynical. Okay, Isn't the World Cup supposed to determine the best team in the world rather no, than grow the game? Or well, have have we completely ignored the fact that this is supposed to be a title Manuel, for the best team can't. in the world? Like, I mean, it, it, at what stage is it still a meaningful tournament or the next Ballon d'Or? Well, but, but I mean, you know, you're filtering in Europe already in the UEFA qualifiers. If Italy and Portugal are not competent enough to get through those qualifiers, they shouldn't be in the competition for the best team of the world. You have France, you have Germany, you have the other nations that qualified in their groups. In Portugal and Italy, they were not knocked out by Germany or by France. They were knocked out by Serbia and Switzerland, which technically are not going to be World okay. Cup winners. Again, devil's advocate, but Serbia and Switzerland will finish first and second in CONCACAF. Yeah, but CONCACAF's not fighting for the title there. The thing is, the World Cup, it's about a tournament between the best countries of each confederation. Obviously, UEFA has been the dominant confederation, followed by Common Ball. But when I say Common Ball, it's mostly just Brazil and Argentina, essentially. Yeah, uh, we looked at the all-time standings, right, before this podcast. And yeah, uh, when, you, thing, when you look at it, there's almost no CONCACAF team in it. But but if that's the case, then if we're going to do it in that scenario, then just pretty much all you're going to have is a, just do the Euros and invite Brazil and Argentina. That would be the which is, which is, okay, again, devil's advocate, that might happen because of UEFA might say this is a joke. And like, again, I'm being cynical and playing devil's advocate, but at what point will UEFA say, like you oh, guys want, want you to organize for? it. It's, it's already happening because it is a power play, right? At some point, UEFA will say like, you guys can keep growing the game with this World Cup of yours and we're just going to host our own. So, so Manuel, gonna, were, you, were you for or against the Super League? Which I know the answer. I, I was against it. So how is this um, different from the Super League among nations? 
It is because the qualification is very different. No, but but, right. but people want automatic qualifications for teams that are highly ranked, but by merit. No, 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 no. I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that at all. I just say that at what point does the qualification become not fair anymore? But don't there you? Is also, UEFA, there's also UEFA is sending UEFA is sending um, their best nations. Maybe one will miss, which is Italy yeah. and Portugal. Maybe one, but UEFA is still sending sending their their top nations. And Italy and Portugal are missing it purely out of incompetence. There, they could have gone through that group. I I, I know there's the VAR, the VAR, which is also on UEFA for not having it for Portugal, but they're still sending their best teams. And they're I'm probably just going to say win. one thing before I let Josh, but Italy and Portugal, with the points that they have collected, would currently sit first in CONCACAF. But yes, but those points, point. those points don't mean anything because they're not directly playing the teams in CONCACAF. I'm not saying that Portugal or, or Italy wouldn't top CONCACAF because more than likely they would, but I mean, you can't take the amount of points that they would have had in Europe and compare that to what they would have had in, in CONCACAF because they're completely different games. But another big point of that is the, the elite should qualify, especially if you if even if you give three extra spots to to these Europe the, to Europe in the twenty twenty six World Cup, it, it's not it's not gonna like it's not gonna make a huge difference because the teams that still will, will miss out are the teams like Turkey. And if I'm being honest, like it's I don't think it's a, the biggest quality in the world if you have Turkey there versus if you have Costa Rica there. And on top of that, in the last couple of World Cups, remember Mexico getting out of a group, USA getting out of a tough group with Germany, Costa Rica going to a quarterfinals, like. I mean, that Costa Rica side was was a, a surprise package. There's a lot of cool teams like that. Ghana as well, who got ripped off back in 2010. Like th- those are the fun stories that make the beautiful game so special. And and I would rather see a more spread out World Cup and see some of those crazy underlying stories than to see 25 European teams fighting it. I I, I get that for the Euros. Well, and, and Josh, adding to what you said, I agree with that. And, and another point is UEFA had enough spots for all their top nations to qualify. Italy and Portugal just didn't do their jobs. If they were, if they did their jobs in their group, we probably wouldn't be having this argument. But other nations with also quality players, by the way, because I actually don't want to take merit away because Switzerland's a pretty damn strong team and so is Serbia. But these other two nations were able to defeat them. They were able to go through in the group. That is the difference. There is enough spots in UEFA for the teams to qualify. But if we keep expanding because these teams, for whatever reason, don't make it through, how many spots is UEFA going to have? Because if you're going to go based off that, then we're going to give like 25, 30 spots to UEFA. And and yes, it would be interesting. There would be quality teams. I love watching the Euros. I don't hide that. But that's not what the World Cup is about. I already have the Euros. You have the Euros. We all have the Euros. If UEFA wants that, like you said, maybe they'll invite Brazil and Argentina and try to do their little own World Cup. How would that do? I don't know. I don't see any difference between that and the Super League. Here's my final point, though. Why is it more important to grow the game in CONCACAF or Comnibor than, let's say, in Eastern Europe? Why would, you know, and that's, that's an important point. Why is it more important to grow the game in somewhere in Africa than, let's say, in the Caucasus? But Manuel, we're, the thing is, it's not more important. We're asking it to be equal. No, it's, be po- it's politics, it's votes. That's what no, it no, is. I understand that FIFA does work in corrupt ways and, and they definitely make these decisions not with the best intentions. We are discussing in the best intentions. I don't think FIFA ever discusses anything with good intentions. No. We're just discussing our thoughts on it. I don't think they make any decision. Even if they give UEFA more spots, it's not going to be because they're they're doing it for the best of the intentions right there. That's not what they're Yeah, doing. if there's 16 spots given to, 
to UEFA and Portugal and Italy still can't qualify. I don't think anyone's going to cry, cry about that. It, it, no, it is, it is, the, drama, <laughs> the drama is going to be great. Like, I, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm a big fan of that. Like, <laughs> I think there's two points to my argument. You know, more than one thing, I think this is the one thing that's really important about is more than one thing can be right, right? I'm, well, I'm yeah. not saying you guys are wrong. And that's like, I think that's my final underlying point. Like I, you can disagree while also agreeing. Right. And this is the whole, that's the nice thing of a balanced debate, which unfortunately Twitter has completely destroyed. Um, that's maybe my final point on this, but yeah. you know, like I, I just think there's very many facets and like points on this and, um, you can really look at it in very many different ways. Like you guys are both fully right, but at the same time, I, I still think the world cup is supposed to be not just to grow the game and it has to grow the game fairly as well. So how many spots would you think it's fair for UEFA out of 48? It should probably be almost half. You know, like 16 is probably a good number. 16, if that's, if that's what, it, what it goes to, then that's probably a good number. That's one third um, roughly. So, Which is probably fair because it is also the biggest, right? Um, it's the biggest confederation of all of them. So, um, Actually, the CA, CAF so is the biggest one of 54, apparently. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Apparently. I think you have 55. Yeah. So yeah, either way, you know, like, you oh, know, you have 55. you're right. You're right. Right. You have yeah. this one. You're right. So, and then the thing is too, there is countries in, in Europe that deserve to be also given some attention. And I'm not talking about the big ones here. I'm talking about like the Armenias of this world and I'm talking about Ukraine or like the Baltic States, right? Um, places that hadn't had a shot at qualifying for the World Cup. And so I don't know if that's any different than giving a shot to, I don't know, Honduras. I'm just going to quickly, before you move on there, Manuel, read the mission statement of FIFA, which oh is God. I, yeah. develop the game, touch the world, build a better future. <laughs> With the key point being touch the world. Sorry, I'm laughing, but <laughs> that, that's FIFA. <laughs> you definitely touched the world when they got Qatar in the World Cup right there. They I think Adrian wants to say something. He's been kind of listening in, so let's give it to him. Well, I, so first of all, the reason I was so quiet is I actually have no idea where this story came from. So that's why I, I, I was just sort of listening and seeing what's happening. But I mean, to be fair to the mission statement, that's for FIFA as the organization, not for the World Cup, because that is what they do is with all the funding that they secure, there's supposed to be a trickle down effect that makes it to these smaller nations so they can develop. But the World Cup itself, the tournament, I don't think that that's necessarily the mission statement. But that being said, I do think that 16 should be the cap for UEFA because you get beyond one third and it just seems like a little bit ridiculous. All right. Fair enough. Um, Adrian has spoken and put a cap on that conversation. I think that's a good way to move on. The NHL season is underway in DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NHL has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, 
an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Filippo, going to go straight to you. Cuba Libertadores, your team, Palmeiras. Right? Won yeah. It. Again. That's the, the first time since Boca Juniors defended it in 2000, 2001, 2002, I think. Right? It's been a while. Yeah, and uh, Palmeiras actually, when they won in 1999, they lost the final in 2000 to get the double against Boca Juniors. And that's when the Boca Juniors team went on to win the second time as well. So it's quite interesting, right? Because Palmeiras went through a rough decade, the last decade. And then this this time, ever since 2015, Palmeiras managed to win two Brasileirons, the Brazilian League, two Brazilian Cups, and then the last two Copa Libertadores. And for this match... For anyone that got to see it and watch it, you saw two completely different soccer philosophies in the field. You saw a Palmeiras team that reminds many people tactically of Chelsea. Very efficient, knows when to press, knows when to soak up pressure, knows where. Tactically, a very strong team, right? And then you go on to face a Flamengo that reminds a lot of Manchester City of Pep Guardiola playing some very fluid soccer to attack. Beautiful soccer but not as efficient and as effective in taking the opportunities to the best of their approach, right? So what happened in the game was Palmeiras got an early lead off a counter with a beautiful ball lobbed and from the back of Felipe Luiz and David Luiz, if I'm not mistaken, actually two names that you all should be very familiar with. Palmeiras got the early lead. From there on, you saw complete dominance from Flamengo. Flamengo dominated the game. And they got a tie. They tied the game in the second half with Gabriel Barbosa, Gabi Gold, that many might remember him from Inter Milan, Benfica, a bust in Europe, but it's been performing in South America now. The game goes to extra time, goes to extra time. And again, a name that people might remember, Andres Pereira, gives the ball away for Flamengo and Palmeiras scores the game-winning goal and wins it, being completely outplayed by Flamengo, to be fair. But it's just different approaches, different philosophy. So it was a nice game to watch. It was very enjoyable. Um, any soccer, anyone soccer fan definitely appreciates games like these when you see different approaches from different coaches. And I'm just happy, man. My team dominating South America. Hopefully we get to beat Chelsea in the FIFA Club World Cup. I'll be looking forward to that. It's unlikely, but I hope so. And I'd like to hear from you guys, whoever watched the game. I know Josh watched the game. I know Adrian covered it, but he didn't really fully watch it, I believe. And Manuel, unfortunately, wasn't able to watch it for technical issues. Right, Manuel? Well, I did see the dive by Diverson. Um, oh, Daverson? Oh, Davine. And he was <laughs> not. Okay, okay. Daverson, I actually, anyone watching this, go watch Daverson's best moments because that was not the worst he has done. He's done worse. <laughs> Manuel, Manuel, this is a strong game. I don't know if you guys saw this. Daverson got hit and then he flops and he falls out of bounds, kind of like Neymar. So he wanted to waste time. You know what he does? He rolls back into the field, jumping almost, and then he falls. And it's just it's just embarrassing a lot of times. But he scored the, the title goal, right? He scored the goal that gave us the championship. So now he's he's like a club legend all of a sudden, even though he didn't play much this season. After being almost murdered by the referee, right, Josh? That was brutal. Yeah, that was that was pretty funny. Yeah, I like I like to keep. I mean, I watch uh, the Copa Libertadores every every year, uh, and having a little bit more interest in it now that I mean we're friends with Filippo and knowing that his side was in it. But uh, I mean, it was funny. I was talking with Filippo before the match, and he said there's two drastically different styles going into the game. The way that he was describing it, I, I literally thought of the Champions League final that Chelsea won. The team that doesn't play the the prettiest football, the team that 
I mean, if you're watching as a neutral or, or someone who's maybe not that into the technical side of the game, you're probably thinking, how did Palmeiras or how did Chelsea pull this off against that Flamengo side and against that City side? And that's pretty much exactly how it went. I mean, I thought they were, it was a pretty tactical game. Uh, the the Pereira mishap at the end is a tough way to lose a final to the, in that magnitude and extra time. But I thought it was pretty enjoyable from from a neutral myself. I mean, I was going a little bit more for Palmeiras, but was just there just to kind of enjoy the game. And, and, and it was cool. It was, it was a good game is definitely a game plan for both sides and Palmeiras were the ones to figure it out and you kind of see that in in teams that are able to uh get the job done and it doesn't matter which league in the world I mean we, in the MLS we always use Seattle as as the consistency Madrid and Europe Palmeiras seemed like the side that just won it they knew exactly what they had to do they had a game plan they got the job done and they're back-to-back champions which is something that you don't see all that often so kudos to them and hopefully Filippo got the nice little uh celebration after being out on uh on an injury for a little bit there well so i watched the game last year and it sounds like this was just a repeat from last from from last year's final what do you think adrian well i mean that's that's a bell Ferreira, really i mean i'm i'm kind of shocked that he's gone to south america and won two titles two continental titles i should say in a row because he was relatively unremarkable in portugal with braga then he went off to payok paok over in greece Uh, He was let go there at the end of October. And now he's back in South America to make it so that Portuguese managers have won the Copa Libertadores for three seasons running. I mean, Portuguese managers have won in Europe, Africa, Asia, and South America at this point. But uh, they haven't really done it lately in Europe. So we'll see who, (laughs) if any of the managers can get up to task there. But yeah, to see Abel Ferreira, knowing who he was in Portugal, to see him celebrating again with that Libertadores trophy really was shocking to me. Yeah, and adding to what Adrian said too, I think what played a role is the two Portuguese managers did a fantastic job managing egos. That was the main problem. So Palmeiras and Flamengo, uh, when it comes to quality of the roster, they're way above the teams in South America. There's no comparison. I don't think anyone will argue that. Maybe Atletico Mineiro caught up now, but no one will argue that. But Abel Ferreira and Jorge Jesus were able to really manage the egos in this team. And that's what made it so successful. Now, in regards to what Manuel said, the final this year was very much different from last year. Last year, it seemed like Santos and Palmeiras were just, they both were playing not to lose. It was like two teams that were scared and Palmeiras got that late goal and won. Flamengo did not play not to lose. Flamengo went all in on Palmeiras. Palmeiras just soaked up the pressure. It was it was a much more enjoyable final to see uh, compared to last year, for sure. And then the extra time, the emotions... Last year was a very boring final, by the way. Tactically, it was good. The way the teams were set up and everything as a soccer lover almost right there, we definitely enjoy watching those. But this year was much more enjoyable as a neutral fan. And as a fan, it was a little little nerve, a lot of nerves actually for me at least, the way the game played out. Because it looked like Palmeiras was going to lose it the entire game. Mm. Yeah. I mean, um, the final question I have made for you, Filippo, is uh, Rafael Vega. Um He's very strongly linked with a move to Inter Miami. What do you make of that story? Yeah, so Vega has been good for Palmeiras, and I think he'll do very well in MLS. Obviously, he's been one of the best. He scored 18 goals last season for Palmeiras, and he scored, I believe, 18 or 19 this season again. And he's an attacking midfielder. So those are pretty strong numbers, right, for an attacking midfielder. Was part of the Palmeiras' success. Personally, He's not the best option in the Brazilian league. I think Palmeiras can sign someone better. And Flamengo has better midfielders, per se. 
But yeah, if Vega makes it to MLS, that's a big time signing. He's going to be one of the best players in the league. Very good attacking midfielder, very technical lefty attacking midfielder, very a big goal scoring threat and a creator as well. But he does have one problem, in my opinion. I think he's, this is one thing I noticed, he's kind of slow. Okay, he's not a very fast player. He slows down the game a lot. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, like my understanding is that Inter Miami are already quite far. Um, it's going to be a lot of changes at Inter Miami, I think, in general um, this winter. With, with it. Is he a DP? Would he be a DP? Yeah, I think I've been told by a source that every player at the moment at Inter Miami is for sale. Hmm. Every player, the entire squad is essentially up for sale because they have to completely, Chris Henderson has to do a lot of work there to restructure everything, right? So a lot of work, um, you know, they have made a proper mess out of out of that club. Um, when you compare that to Nashville, of course, um, who have done quite well. <laughs> and we're going to talk about them in just a second, but um, I think they have done a proper mess out of that expansion team. Um, you know, that's the structure and the, the way the squad was put together is just... Uh, an absolute disaster uh it's probably worth an episode at some point i think maybe when the winter transfers come in but we have to talk about mls and <sighs> who here watched the watch real salt lake do it all over again guys come on put up your hands who watched it josh did i watched the first game i watched the first game <laughs> how about you adrian you you missed all out missed out on all the rsl action yeah, I missed out on, unfortunately, I was at a baptism. Yes, people are getting baptized mm. in 2021. So I uh, I missed out on, on the MLS action this weekend. So yeah, unfortunately, I don't have much to offer. But I was surprised to see that Real Salt Lake went through. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you do live in Catholic Montreal. Um, so I guess a baptism is still the thing True. to go there. True. <laughs> um, yeah, so like Josh, RSL. Um, first is Shock Seattle. And penalties without firing a single shot. Very different game plan against Sporting Kansas. Very different game plan. I think they were actually quite good. And then Bobby Wood. You know, I work for Transfermark. Our headquarters are in Hamburg. We have a chat where we just make fun of stuff. And I sent that goal into the chat because Bobby Wood has frustrated every Hamburger SVAL fan for so many years. And then he scores probably arguably one of the biggest goals in his career just months after leaving Hamburg, knocking out Sporting Kansas. Incredible, right? It was. Big goal and an incredibly well-taken goal. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to go out there and say I called Real Salt Lake to go to the final because I absolutely did not. But after seeing their gritty performance against Seattle, and and I know they didn't get a shot off. And I I mean, I was much much more pleasantly surprised in this match because they were much better. And and the stats alone describe that. The stats in the Seattle game were abysmal. You'd be shocked at the fact that Seattle pulled through on penalties. But... I thought Real Salt Lake were arguably the the better side. I mean, they had better possession. They had more shots created. They looked relatively comfortable. And they have kind of found that groove, which a lot of, I mean, unless you play in a playoff type system like this, you're not going to really get that. And and you you see it in North America with plenty of different sports. You get hot at the right time. You can be unstoppable. And it it would not surprise me to see Real Salt Lake going all the way. It it honestly wouldn't, especially with the the injury to Blanco as as well as the red card for Portland. They're going to be a little shorthanded. And Real Salt Lake is getting hot at the exact right time. They took out one of the big dogs with Seattle. Must have gave them confidence. They attacked KC, who is a strong side as well. And now they're sitting pretty against a, a hurt uh, Portland side. They still The bookies still have Portland well favorites, but 
I'd put my money on Real Salt Lake, and I think that they're going to be a tough team to go at because they've hit a groove right now. And as a North American and, and being able to see this type of playoff uh, format is fun to see. I'm also surprised Portland made it this far too with all the injuries they're dealing with. Also the red card, I think it was Asprilla that got a red card, right? If I'm not mistaken. It was. Yeah, it and, was. and Eric Williamson that they lost earlier in the season with an ACL tear. And, and to, to add the Asprilla, they, they, they tried to uh, overturn the red card that uh, MLS communicated late last night that that was um, denied. So he is definitely out. Okay, so we're going to have a, a Portland side a little dismantled, right? Not 100% against the Real Salt Lake that they just have it in them right now, man. They're just going for it. And I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if they made it to MLS Cup. And I think if we go back <laughs> a few months ago, no one really thought that the conference final would have been Portland versus RSL, right? No one was really betting money on that. Maybe some people on Portland, but not too much. And then the other side, Philadelphia making it to the final is not the biggest surprise. It was an interesting game against Nashville, which we can talk about how Nashville might want to work on penalty penalty kicks. That That's something that might be important. And then New England faces later today uh, New York City FC, which is a, an interesting game. And I don't know what you guys think. I wouldn't be surprised if New York City pulls an upset here. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that New York City could definitely do it. We haven't seen New England in like over two weeks. Like we we have no idea what's going on there, right? And that's that's tough. Um, maybe like one final thing to add with the the whole RSL story is is the fact that you know they lost their head coach to the Sounders, not to take over the the head coach position, but to essentially become um, an assistant coach. Freddie Juarez, right? To become an assistant coach at Brian Schmetzer. And they handed over to uh, Pablo Mastrioni, who was the caretaker manager. And now they end up, they have a shot to make the final. I think that's an incredible story. Um, you know the way it's, that's been going, and that's that's just how the playoffs are. I'm very intrigued by the game tonight. Uh, I think it's very very difficult to sit on the sidelines for two weeks and having to wait to see who your opponent is. And Philadelphia, of course, now playing two rounds, right? Um, beating Nashville, and they had to go to full 120 minutes. And at the penalty shootout, um, yeah, I think it, Andre Blake pretty much made a point that he is the best goalkeeper in this league at this stage. He, he was absolutely fantastic. Uh, he saved the first. And then I think all the national players just lost all belief in their ability to, to take a penalty. It's just absolutely incredible. But yeah, Josh, I mean, this next, this, this game tonight and then the, the final is going to be just absolutely fantastic to watch. It is. And I don't want to get into a, a huge, massive debate because I feel like I'm just going to pluck somewhat of the nerves or at least the interest of some of you guys. But I do think MLS needs to kind of rethink the way that they're going to do playoffs like this because you saw it with Colorado, a team that did so well over the course of a season, overachieved, and then they're just standing still because they didn't get that that extra game in and then they just got run over. And I, I'm nervous for New England. After a record-breaking season, standing still is the only way I can kind of describe it and then have a full sprint running in form Philadelphia team going at – or. Um, or a, oh, it could be Philadelphia as well, but I mean, also New York is in it. It just makes things a little, a little difficult. It's almost like you need to get an extra game in there to keep the legs moving. Um, but I'm, I'll be cheering on Tejan Buchanan because he's, he's, he's the boy I want to go on for. And, uh, and then yeah, and as, as for Nashville, I mean, your, your boy Hanny didn't have a nice, uh, nice little end to a very successful season. But to, to get a, to get shutout in a shootout, I mean, it's you don't see it too often, especially considering they're able to take all four shots. Uh, it's a shame because I thought Nashville had what it took and potentially go all the way but it is what it is and that's what again that's why playoffs are so much fun 
he he was the best player until the until the shootout for sure <laughs> the field um he then misses the first and then it just goes sideways from there yeah that's an interesting question guys um made a final point and i, I was wondering that too because mls is trying to favor the best teams colorado and new england in this stage right to give them a buy but adrian what do you think is it actually is it actually a benefit to get a game off i don't know maybe it would be better if everyone starts in the same round personally i don't think that it's an advantage in any way i mean yes of course you're playing your first game in the next round you're already in that semi-final but just look at Rail Salt Lake as an example and how they came into this and how they've now picked up some sort of momentum and that's just going to carry on throughout the different brackets. So I think that New England and Colorado, well, I mean, Colorado's out already, so there's point proven right there. But I think that New England is going to be very interesting because sure, training does keep your legs fresh, but there's nothing like that sort of game experience. And New York City is coming into this off of beating Atlanta 2-0 already. So they're coming in, their first playoff game, they've got it done and dusted. New England, of course, you can't expect them to just be slouches after the season that they had. But there's something to be said about momentum in the playoffs. And I think that Real Salt Lake is just, you know, a perfect encapsulation of that. Yeah, what do you think, Filippo? I mean, you've been working as a coach, etc. in this game. It's probably not an advantage at all, is it? Uh, the, the advantage is you don't get knocked out earlier, right? Because you're already in a more advanced stage. But I think it would be much better if they just had eight teams qualifying and the first t- seed will face the eighth seed and have home advantage and already get into form and continue their streak going. So, yeah, that, that could be one of the surprises today. The fact that New England hasn't been playing for two weeks and New York has already played a knockout round. So they're already in that playoff mode Uh, That's where we could see an upset. And it's quite interesting, right? Because I I think last year, was it last season that Philadelphia didn't have a bye, right? They didn't have a bye and they lost. Yeah, they did. There was a play play and then they lost the first game. So there you have it. So I don't think it's that much of an advantage besides the fact that you just prevent getting knocked out earlier, I guess. But at the same time, that game that they're saving themselves, they will probably win anyway, right? So... It's not big of an advantage, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. I think you're probably better off playing. Um, it'd be interesting to see, of course, if how that's going to turn out. Um, we we're recording this on Tuesday, um, so if the game has taken place already by the time this comes out, I don't. I think it's probably going to be out before then. But like, yeah, that, I think that's going to be a really interesting game to watch because we just haven't seen New England in two weeks, and the season can be over in a blink of an eye. You just look at look at the teams that are already gone. Um, I think the final thing that I want to really touch on before we leave, um, Vani Satini is now officially the new head coach at the Vancouver Whitecaps. Um, of course, I broke that story a few mu- few weeks ago. And um, there's going to be a few interesting things happening with the Vancouver Whitecaps in this winter. Uh, I know that Lucas Cavallini is being shopped in Mexico at the moment. They're looking for a new club for him. They want to unload that contract. And uh, he's he's not happy in Vancouver as well. And I think MLS is not a good destination for him right now anyways. Uh, I know that they're looking for a new center back. And um, Florian Jungwirth, I think they're looking into maybe keeping him as well. Um, so an interesting offseason coming for the Whitecaps. But yeah, Vani Satini now officially under contract until 2023. Guys, I think that's it for this week. Um, until Monday at least. So yeah. Great episode once again. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And we hear from we we'll talk to you soon. Cheers and bye-bye. <laughs>